Not the most apt intro for today. <laughs> Unless you're waking slightly later than the norm, in which case I can relate. But not the most, you know, fitting intro because you're in the start time. But nonetheless, the bird is back. Um, it is 1.05 Eastern, 6.05 Brit time. Um, I hope you are well. It has been a week, a full week since the last episode of the Burt. This week only, this will be the start time. Okay, this week only, 6.05 Brit time, 1.05 Eastern. Um, and yeah, this is the, the new format that we kind of touched on before I left. Of Basically what this will be in will be like a, a daily check-in. I'll have some topics every day, but, you know, they'll also be very loose and there'll be a lot of Q&A elements to this program. Um, as I intend to increase my kind of wrestling diet in terms of what I'm watching and what I'm catching up on, this show I intend to kind of serve as the, um, you know, podcast vehicle to encapsulate that. That's basically my plan. When I watch saying I'll talk about here, I'll pick out a couple of talking points. Some of it you will care about and be like, yes, I also watch that show. Often you will not have any idea what I'm talking about, but maybe it will be like a um, vaguely insightful element in that regard. Maybe. I don't know. That's, that's maybe a little bit too wishful thinking, but I hope everyone is well. I do have some topics to get into. Unfortunately, I have uh, I have got the, the, the unenviable task today of discussing wrestling ratings, which you get what you get, I suppose. I'll be getting into that in a moment. I actually want to talk about it, like genuinely, so we're going to talk about ratings. We're going to talk about Raw, and then I'm going to answer some questions. Okay? Um, watch more GCW. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that one's for me. Um, we'll get Bob to do it forward or so. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know if that's going to be my, I don't know if that would be my jam, so to speak, you know. But these things happen. I mean, I watch a lot worse stuff. I watch the NWA. It's just uh, stylistically. It's a struggle for me sometimes. Not all of it. I do want to watch the Moxley Deppen match, though. Um, here's the Hilver reference, the aforementioned ratings conversation. All right. Let's let's talk here. So it's been a big conversation. The um, the build to Forbidden Door, its impact on business, the famed casual fan. Um, you know, the, the demo, the viewership, all this stuff. And I think it's kind of interesting, not really, but, you know, I think it's a worthwhile conversation about the product in general. So before I get started here, and this is important, I want to stress that I'm not doing Sky's Falling content here. I actually thought both shows in question last week, both Dynamite and Rampage, were very, very good. Um I would go as far as called Dynamite Great, even though it had a couple of messy segments. Dynamite's always had messy segments. It is, you know, merely nostalgia for a year ago that people think that is not... They've always done messy segments. So I would last week, you know, last week's shows are very good. But the, the ratings, I do think, allow for an interesting conversation. The immediate reaction most have had, Fighter offering a 20% discount. Pay-per-view numbers going to be interesting. I, I was going to shoot about it last. Week. I think we talked about it on the green actually. But I was texting him and I was like, I don't know, man. Like, if it was bad, um, I wouldn't be surprised at all personally. But we'll see. Um, yeah. Anyway, what was I talking about? Rampage, dynamite, ratings. The immediate reaction, the instinctual reaction many have had to this ratings dip is the forbidden door element, the New Japan talent. 
the casual fan doesn't care. And from what I can gather, the quarter hour for Tanahashi seemed to be highly rated anyway. But I, I genuinely don't think that's it. Now, I will say that I think um, the build for Bindor has been weak. I would dare say objectively so. I think it's been kind of a strangely half-hearted effort. They don't want to fully commit to building it, but they also don't want to kind of just leave it bare. So they're doing angles, but not really. They're very cookie-cutter and, and kind of um, they lack any sense of personality to themselves. So I haven't liked the build very much. But I don't think that's what the ratings issue is. I think it will be very easy to just be like, oh, you know, people don't care about the New Japan guys, whatever. I don't think that's what's happening here. And before I go any further, let me stress that I'm not sure anything's happening here. Maybe it was just a bad week. I don't know, right? No, you know, I'm not an expert on the topic, clearly. But I do think there are some interesting elements to this product that we can, like, analyze and kind of talk about without, you know, having a, a shouting contest. And some of the things I'd like to talk for, and it's not going to be a long segment or anything, but I just want to kind of touch on it because this has been a thing I've been big on for a long time. If your product's as in-ring reliant as AEW's has recently become, which frankly was not always the case, um, there was a while where I think Shu and I pretty confidently described it as a promo promotion, promo territory, I should say. Um, I think that has changed. I think that has noticeably, their product is now more reliant on good wrestling for good wrestling's sake than it's ever been before. Some of you will like that, some of you won't. That's, that's whatever. Um, but I do think there is like a noticeable shift of, him just doing matches kind of, you know, to just to do them, so to speak. And there's nothing wrong with that, but, is what he is. but when your product's as in-ring reliant as theirs has become as of late and is leaning this much on in-ring quality, I do think you have to be a little bit more daring with matchmaking. Now, I know recently it was a whole debate and, you know, top guys getting pinned and this and the next thing. And, you know, there, there are top guys that have been pinned. Unquestionably, this is all true, yes. However... I do think objectively, when Rampage is going to be as filled to the brim with action as that last week's was, which was probably 75% wrestling, as much as I enjoy watching Bobby Fish wrestle and I enjoy watching, you know, just John Moxley in action, I do think you have to have more sense of drama and more of a television hook than just see Darby Allen and John Moxley win wrestling matches. Um, I think that is something that's just like putting my own taste aside. And again, let me stress, I like the Bobby Fish match a lot. I like Bobby Fish a lot. But there's no drama to that match graphic. You know Darby's winning that match, right? You know John Moxley's beating Dante Martin because of calls. And I know they're telling the story there, and I understand it's difficult. But I think you have to go one or the other, not both. Jaden Willow, listen, Willow is fabulous. And there's a long-term story you can tell there too. But as of right now, June 2022, that's just, that doesn't have much of a hook to the television viewer. You know, then no one buys Willow's being Jade. And again, that doesn't mean you don't do it. But if the whole show is that, and Rampage has really struggled with this in its 10 months of existence, you very seldom will see a match on Rampage and hesitate on who's going to win. Very seldom. Is that a massive issue? Not necessarily. Do I think it's one when the product is leaning that heavy on in ring? Yes. Because I think you basically train the audience they're not going to get angles on Rampage. Now, the irony of that is you actually got an angle on Rampage. Sting came back to a very small audience. But that almost felt jarring because we're so used to the show just being, like, exactly what's advertised, right? Like, 
You're going to hear from Dan House and Hook. Even if it's 30-second segment, they'll advertise it. You get your matches. Mostly they're good. And it's a nice little wrestling show. But I do think, you know, in, and I've said this before, the wrestling shows I like very seldom are commercial hits. So I like Rampage a lot. But, like, in terms of a hook and being must-see, I think anyone that's been objective can concede, like, they've struggled with that. Now, the question is, are they struggling or have they just kind of decided Rampage is where it is and, you know, we'll live with, with how far it falls? I think that may be the case. I think that's a shame with a roster this big, quite frankly. But um, I think anyone kind of looking at it reasonably can agree that, Rampage is anything but must-see. And I say that as someone who really enjoys it and likes that kind of um, likes that kind of wrestling TV that's a lot more kind of easygoing than the Dynamite alternative, which is dizzying at times. So while I enjoy Rampage, I don't, you know, I think it has really struggled to to like feel like destination TV. And while the time slot obviously hurts and the night and all that stuff. I get it. Of course, they are factors. It is kind of foolish to not just tackle the core element here, which is that Rampage is a show that only feels like it could be missed, right? So that's um, that's the Rampage piece of this. Now, in terms of Dynamite, now this is slightly an overlap with the Forbidden Daughter conversation. And, you know, again, I'm not going to do the, well, it's just New Japan, no one cares. I don't believe that's what's happening here. I really don't. But I would ask you, Sincerely now, and I, I'm genuinely going to take your answer on this because I, I, I'm intrigued. What would you describe on the AEW product right now as being interesting to you from a fan perspective? Okay, so for example, if we did this six months ago, and I had problems with the product six months ago, I actually thought that was a real, I've had a real lull at the turn of the year. But you could say, for example, and it's an extreme example because it's a very famous feud already, but let's just use it. I'm interested how they do this MJF CM Punk business, which was an easy answer, but was an answer. I mean, clearly that was something that the TV relied on heavily. What would you, and I'm asking you guys in the chat, and I'm genuinely interested. What are you interested in seeing the next piece of? What are you, in an episodic sense, a serialized sense, whatever the, the correct phrasing is, which shoot and always fuck up, what are you sitting there on Wednesday morning saying, I want to see where they go with this? I'm not saying it isn't there, to be clear here. I'm not trying to paint some bit that it's all, you know, none of it's interesting. I'm asking you because I have to be totally honest in saying that personally, I did not have um, an easy answer that really stood out to me. Now that's me. This is this is slightly subjective. I'm very subjective, honestly. But I am interested because like oh no, obviously, you know, we do the claim bits. Obviously, a lot of the talent, I think all of us like a lot of the talent. So I I there are people you want to tune in for. Blood and Guts is a strong build and it's been a really strong feud. Um obviously the Moxley stuff has kind of muddied the waters, which is no one's fault. Um it's kind of running in place because it has to. It's booked blood and guts. So, like, that's that's a good example. Um, I'd say that's the strongest feud on TV, pretty clearly. Um, I agree with this one. I agree Christian Cage, he'll turn as an opportunity to do, like, an actual angle and kind of get him some momentum. I agree with this totally. 
Um, I almost said Blackpool Combat Club versus Jericho Appreciation Society, but A, Samuel makes you less interested in B, Blood and Guts is more interested in the destination than the journey. That's what I mean, right? Like, it kind of feels like we've booked it in now, so it's like the meat of the story is kind of behind us, which is nothing wrong with, but I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm intrigued. Swerve and Keith tag division in general. I think this part would be, and I look, I have no problem with the Bucks being champs. I actually think in a lot of ways it's the right call. But I think this one would be more for me if um, if they'd have done like a more kind of creative title change of double or nothing. I was really intrigued by Swerve and Keith or Team Taz as champs, but that's just me. Eddie's potential climb to the title picture feels like he knocks off Jericho and heads in the direction, but maybe I'm just being hopeful. I don't think you're being hopeful. I think... Um, I think that's like a real possibility, but I do think in some ways that as an option is kind of indicative of what I'm, what I'm feeling right now. Right. Like as an Eddie Kingston fan, are they telling this story well enough on TV that I'm hooked by this story or am I hooked by what's possibly next beyond this story? You know, Am I actually more interested in my own fantasy booking of an Eddie Kingston's essential? I'm not talking about you, Josh, I'm talking myself. That I'm at, that's actually really my interest in Eddie Kingston beyond like his current pursuit of revenge on Jericho. I don't know. I don't know the right answer here, to be clear, guys. I'm I'm talking this through with you because I think it's interesting. I I think um and again, I saw this show last week's shows are very good, and the, the quality of the in-ring means that the shows are almost always good, honestly. The floor is decent and the ceiling is incredible. But interest, that was the word I kept thinking of. What is the the hook for these shows? I don't know. I think it's interesting. Um, Mox and Kingston, an unpopular opinion. I'm enjoying the New Japan stuff because I don't watch New Japan regularly. I think it's awesome. I mean, I, I think there's been some really cool matches. The Osprey uh, Dax match was great. But, you know, I just haven't liked the build personally. What we got here? I want to see Wardlow do somewhat weekly TNT title defense to see what he can really do. I'm I'm with that too. Um, I I like that as a challenge for Wardlow. I am slightly concerned about Wardlow through two weeks post the pay per view, um, simply because there were certain things I was fearful of that I think they've shown like a kind of naivety to what those issues are. But you know, Scorps hurt. I think so. It's difficult. I think this was a Kenny thing there. I think they hope Kenny will be back sooner. I'm just going to do the trios match with Bucks and Red Dragon, and they couldn't do it, and they had to kind of pull back on that. Now the Undisputed Elite is like just a thing. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, what we got here? Blood and Guts and the Spooky Julia stuff. I'm genuinely excited to see what they do with her. I'm always excited for whatever Danielson is doing. Co-sign all of this. Julia and the House of Black is an interesting case of like where I think having so many guys is a blessing and a curse in the, that's like the best encapsulation that I can find where it's like, I think it's a good thing. They have so many guys because the house of black stuff is allowed to be kind of, it's allowed to be used at a rate that is not overwhelming for people that don't like that style of storytelling or character. Um, but I equally think it, it kind of allows them, you know, Tony Khan to be lazy in terms of fleshing out. Right. So like, the Julia stuff's interesting in that we got that one or two promos we've got with her in them. And the kind of um, how brief they are makes it more intriguing. 
But equally, if I really sit and think about it, it's like, well, maybe, maybe there should have been a bigger follow-up for Julia, you know, after the big angle at the baby. And that's where I kind of go back and forth on the way he, he paces his shows. Like, there's something to be said for you never kind of get overexposed to people. Well, there's a couple of people, but mostly you're never overexposed. But then with some of the House of Blakes, I'm like, man, I wonder if they could kind of dig in a little bit here. But, you know. Um, what we got here? I'm also having trouble. Finding true interest, even despite my favorite guy going for, up for the, the interim title, I'm stoked and went to win, but I wish I felt it a little more. And this is, you know, just take that example, right? You Moxley's going for the interim title, and as a fan, you want him to win. You're into it, but you do wonder if this. I, I've said before. I think sometimes they tell all of their stories at sixty percent, rather than telling less of them at, at you know a hundred. And I think if you look at Mox's promo on Wednesday you have the ingredients for a really compelling story. He had this line in there about everything I've worked for and tried to prove myself to be for the last three years. Almost like this is the season finale and the, the culmination of his journey post-WWE. And I love that. But it's like this week he's just going to wrestle the tag match with, with Tanahashi. And it's, it's kind of a thing that you have to pick up yourself as a fan and like you have to kind of piece these, these little elements of, of depth together. Rather than fully going in that direction, doing like a big time video package or interview or extended, you know, kind of, um, uh, you know, pre-tapes, whatever it may be, with Mox where he talks about that journey. And I, um, you know, and I get it minute by minute we go down if he did a sit down interview or he did a, an extended pre-tape. But it just feels like you can do a better job of capturing the, the uh, gravity of such a thing like Moxley trying to get back the belt. As Joe Blood mentions... You know, a, a belt that he was completely robbed of, and that's that just interests me. That that kind of element of the product interests me. And, I, and again, I think there's strengths to it. And if you're not into something, very seldom is it just shoved down your throat. You can kind of just look the other way for a few minutes and it'll be gone. But it is um, it is intriguing. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I realise I'm just kind of long for the ride. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's a wrestling show. I mean, you don't have to analyse every week. I'm I'm doing this because. It's interesting content. I think the show's mostly good when you realize that the sky's not falling. That's always an interesting conversation. I kind of feel like you need to give Andrade something big in the near future. I have to be honest, I agree. But I am very much at a point of Andrade where it's like, believe it when I see it, you know? Like, I'm at a point now where I think he's just kind of slotted. The Battle Royal thing was like a genuine bummer for me. Like, he just got thrown out as the Joker. I was like, fuck, man. Like, he's... Is he just the guy? I guess he is. Um, which, look, is what it is. You have to choose. When you have a roster like this, you have to choose. Beauty's an eye to behold him, right? It is what it is. But as a fan of Andrade's, that was a bummer. So I believe when I see it, I agree, agree if he got something. But I don't know. Um, do you think if he shaved four minutes off a few matches that have more time to flesh out stories? Yes, but I think that is something that's not so much a creative choice as it is like that's what he believes to be the correct ratings play. I know nothing about that. That's what everyone says is that like they all of their like statistics say that the matches do better and when we cut away and do promos, people lose their way or whatever. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a very dangerous mentality, but I've always believed that. You know, I think you have to sort of sacrifice those things to tell the stories you want to tell, but I get it. It's hard, whatever. Um... All right. Well, I thought that was interesting. I don't want to dwell on it because I, I am exhausted by a big picture AEW talk, but I did want to get your kind of read on it. 
Because um, I know a lot of us are very AEW-centric and have viewership. But, like, I was, I just kind of thought about myself and was like, what am I interested in beyond, oh, that match will be a, will be a banger, you know, that'll be a great match. It's like, and look, part of this is subjective. You guys know some of my favourite guys are not around right now. It is what it is. That's just life, right? People get injured. People have to go and make motion pictures. People have to do all sorts of things. However, I do think if you want to do the ratings discourse, you guys know me well enough to know that I don't really care particularly. It is what it is. But if you want to do it, I do think it would be it's worth kind of exploring these ideas and going beyond, well, it's a bad week for TV or, well, the time slot sucks. I think there's more meat on the bone than that. And I hope we kind of touched on it here. We have um, a wonderful daily time slot with a burp. Sometimes we talk about these things. If you found it interesting, God bless. If not, I apologize. We're going to talk about Raw now. So, <laughs> right. Raw last night. Um, I actually quite like this show. I don't know if it was good. I never really know if this show is good to honest you. But I have to be totally transparent in saying that I very much grade this on its own like fantastical scale of like if it makes me kind of mad i i can I assume it was bad if i'm not mad at all i assume it was good this was the latter um so i want to talk about saying that i've actually seen becoming a a topic of conversation on the twitter this week especially and it's saying that some of you will know i've kind of been talking about on on this and the purest platform for a while which is this woman's division um i kind of mentioned this a couple months back, when a couple people were on the on the bench, Asuka and Electra, I believe, were the raw names. I think Asuka was unbranded, but you know, like they were on the bench, and I was kind of talking about how either couple of those names land on Raw or return to Raw, you're gonna have something interesting. And Asuka returned, Alexa returned. And there's this six that I've talked about pretty regularly, which is Becky, Bianca, Asuka, Rhea, Liv, Alexa. Now, as we know, Carmella was inserted last night because, you know, shit happens. Best wishes to, to Rhea Ripley, obviously. But um, I'm intrigued by where this brand stands right, stands right now. Without Cody and without Randy and beyond that, without a champion <laughs> to even speak of, a male champion, I should say. Oracle's first reaction and my first reaction, which was Bianca Belair needs to be the centerpiece of this show. I think... I have kind of hesitation on whether they'll do that or not. I think their actual answer will be Seth freaking Rollins. But you get what you get. Um, however, last night, Bianca opened the show with a promo. She did the big Welcome to Monday Night Raw deal. And this is where I think she belongs right now as the champion of this division. Now, this division bookended Raw. I saw a stat earlier today. I don't remember exact, but I think it was. Asuka. Has main event, I believe, six of the eight Raw main events since she returned to TV, which is kind of indicative of what I'm getting at here in terms of what this division is giving the show. It really is um, the most interesting stuff on the show. It feels the stuff most packed with star power, especially about Cody. Um, dare I say they feel like the real stars. Last night they opened with this big promo, which was, you know, it was fine. But why I do think interest in this division is they're all very versatile. And often with WWE, they have these kind of roadblocks they book around. These like self-imposed, like Omos is a good example. I am not against Omos, but he's like, they have to like book around their own push of him. They do this a lot. On SmackDown, they're probably doing it with um, 
Raquel. I haven't seen it, but they have these people. They have to kind of shoehorn and figure out ways to maneuver around. None of these women feel like that on Raw. And, you know, I don't think anyone would accuse Liv of being a great promo, but for the most part, these women can talk. They can all go to different levels, but they can all go. Some of them are damn right great. And, you know, Asker is obviously one of the all-time greats. And I'm just struck by what a fun group they've got here on this on this side of things. Now, I'm aware of how this works. In about three months, they'll shake it up and it will change completely. So I'm trying to make this a thing while we can. Um, last night, they opened with a five-way uh, to get the number one contendership. It's kind of dumb because some of those women were already in the money in the bank. But they explained it as being like, you know, they... They're gonna, they would trade in that pick, whatever the fuck that means, right? So, um, it was Liv, Alexa, Carmella, Becky, Asuka. Carmella was always going to win because Carmella was not on TV until Rhea got injured and they suddenly needed her. So, that is what it is. That's just, you know, it's dumb, but that's, that's what they had to, that's their way of explaining to themselves why not to change anything else. So, Carmella won, which is whatever, um, it does slightly undercut my talking point of the least over person in the match one, but that's just, you know, the way shit works sometimes. But um, I'm not going to see the match with a classic or blow or anything. I'm not because I don't, you know, I don't think it was. It was just a fun match, whatever. But it was kind of noticeable to me how many interesting directions I saw within the match. And again, you guys know me. I have my fantasy booking cap on and sometimes it gets me in some trouble as a fan. But... I look at this group and I'm like, man, there's some really interesting dynamics to explore. And I think that's the key. Post Money in the Bank, can they actually dig in and create some feuds here? Right now, they have the the um, the blessing of the Money in the Bank match, where basically the build to the Money in the Bank match is there's just everyone interacts every week. And that's fine. Every week's a teaser to Money in the Bank. Right, that's fine. Bianca and Carmel is a stop guy. That's fine. When we get past this, though, with Bianca's wrestling Rhea or Becky at SummerSlam, let's give these other women feuds that, honestly, their popularity and their skill level is absolutely uh, deserving of. If it was the other way around and this was the male main event scene, they would all be in single feuds. Absolutely. That's just, like, 100% the case. So let's, you know, let's do some Alexa Live uh, tag team split, whatever it may be stuff. Let's have Becky. Honestly, though, Becky and... Um, it just kind of struck me because the last two weeks have interacted. Becky and Alexis and I haven't touched for years, you know. Um, Asker and Liv is something that I remember those two having matches that people really enjoyed a stretch ago, maybe like early pandemic era. And I'm really intrigued by going back to that just purely with the story of Liv trying to beat Asker. Um, there's a few different things that intrigue me. Liv Morgan is kind of ready to go. The promo element does worry me a little bit, I have to be totally honest. Um... But she's really come a long way in the in ring, and she's over. So, I uh, yeah, I I have to say, I liked a lot of this. Becky and Asuka killed it in the main event. They had like a ten minute kind of brawl, condensed version of some of their more epic matches. They killed it, man. Honestly, I think this whole crew is is great. Carmella is obviously kind of the the odd one out, but listen, don't understate who Carmella is in terms of. I don't think she's a top act. I don't think she needs to be the champ. She's very, very versatile and useful as a kind of, you know, mid-card heel. And I know that, that term is immediately feels like um, like a slight, but it's a role someone needs to play, and she's one of the best they've had in recent years to do that. So, yeah, Rawman's division, big thumbs up.
They're the best thing on the show. It was great to see them bookend the show and you know open and close that thing. Good stuff. A couple other things here before we answer some questions. If you have a question, you're ready to put it in the chat. I'm going to do like Q&A. The way I want to kind of do these shows is kind of broad strokes topics and just, you know, stuff that's on my mind. And then with the last half, it'll be more Q&A. Uh, there'll be no Burt Line news, I don't think, ever again because Bob's big time now. But, you know, you get what you get, I suppose. So, right. I want to talk about Omos. Uh, Omos beat Matt Riddle in like five minutes. And you get what you get, I suppose. I'm kind of amazed at their persistence with this push. I thought they'd have given up by now. He does appear to be getting better. It's just, it seems to be very difficult for him, I have to say. I will, you know, Riddle did about as good a job as you can do against Omos, but it's still, you know, there's a limit to what you can do there. It's difficult. The big thing I wanted to say, because I think this is a real, and I kind of noticed this when the Jericho story happened. I think MVP is the most underrated, underappreciated asset in like the whole industry. This is my take. I truly believe this. He came out last night and did a promo, and he is one of the few people on that whole roster who sounds like a normal human being. <laughs> Dare I say, a charismatic, compelling human being when talking on a microphone. Everyone is doing the verbiage and the nicknames and all that whole shit. MVP has been able to cut through that the whole time since he came back. He's authentic and believable. I don't know how he kind of maneuvers his way around that system to sound like a, a good promo because very few of them actually do it at that level, quite frankly. He's great in those pre-tapes, which everyone fucking sucks at doing because they're just wrestlers acting, and he's great at those. He was tremendous last night in his little, like, minute promo to set up the Riddle match. He genuinely makes the Omos act, like, tolerable as TV because he's that good in the role. So I say all this, so while I know none of this is new, I think people may take MVP for granted as, like, one of the great wrestling managers and personalities of the era. Um, I'm not saying he's like one of the greatest managers ever because no, but like of this last decade, don't sleep on his, on his body of work. You know, like that dude's, he's quietly been a really strong presence and personality when given the opportunity. He was a great addition to Bob Lashley back in total nonstop action. And, uh, Happened again in WWE. The Hurt Business is an act that people remember very fondly. And uh, Omos, while it has a clear ceiling, because while he's very tall, you get what you get, I suppose. Um, he's added an awful lot to Omos. So there you go. MVP. I thought I would I would point that out because I did notice recently when people talk about MVP and the Jericho stuff and all that. It's like people kind of talk about him like he's like a, a nothing. MVP is a pretty big deal for this promotion. I think that's lost on people that don't watch it. I can confirm because I stopped watching and kind of forgot. Speaking of MVP, let's talk about Bob Lashley, who last night, he's in a feud with Fury, which has got some vaguely wrestle crap elements to it. But to get the match with Fury, he had to win a, a gauntlet match. It was him up against uh, Chad Gable, Otis, and finally Fury himself. And I have to say, I am remain in absolute awe of Bobby Lashley and just what an absolute freak of nature he is. Bobby is, let me get the exact uh, 
age on this because I, I find this to be honestly outrageous. I believe he's Bob Fish age. He is 46 in about three weeks. Now, legitimately, Bob Lashley is better now than he has ever been. And I say that as someone um, that was a big fan of his in TNA and got actually frustrated when he lost his way when he came back to WWE for a stretch there. And I think he certainly had ups and downs throughout his very, very long career. But he is definitely in an absolute sweet spot of still being a physical kind of freak. But also, he's clearly like figured it out in a way that he just never had before. Um, last night, he had a match with the, the Gable one in particular. But honestly, he's worked with Otis too. He did something that I don't think he's ever shown the ability to do before, honestly, as a baby face. He's beaten three guys, right? That's difficult. It's hard to get heels, to make heels feel kind of important when you're beating three of them in one stretch. He here managed to make all three of those heels, well, to the first two heels. Fury was out there to, you know, get stooge, to be a stooge, just whatever. But he actually elevated the Alpha Academy guys while beating both of them in not a long time. The way he sold and wrestled against Chad Gable made Chad Gable seem more credible than anything you could do with him in terms of, like, as a tag team wrestler. Shout out to the announcers who explained Bobby had to wrestle differently because he was aware of how good Chad Gable was. Shout out to Chad Gable for being that fucking good and being up to it. But Lashley did an incredible job. The way he, the way he like... He sold the ankle lock and actually made it seem like he could, there was a chance he would lose, which there was never a chance. But that's where he was, you know, he pulled off here. Um, I thought he did a fabulous job of doing something that the true kind of art of being a top baby face. I think Bobby, I think himself would concede he's not always been his strong suit. He like brought a couple of mid card guys up while beating them clean. And, and there's an art form to that that I think shows you the maturity of him as a performer. I really hope they go back to the Gable matchup. There's something to be said for it. If you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. It's very short at that portion. I'd say it's, I wouldn't say it's one, six, seven minutes. Um, but it's just a really cool style matchup and like a totally fresh match too, as far as I know. I don't remember them doing this at any other point. Gable's obviously great, but I just thought I was really impressed by what Bobby Lashley was able to do as the kind of veteran top guy there. Um, I think it shows you how much he's grown from the push that he's been given. And at this point of 45, He's, you know, a real, genuine uh, top guy in the purest sense. So, very happy for Bobby Lashley. Very, um, he's very cool to see his story play out the way it has. So, all right. That was raw. I liked it. I like pieces of it anyway. There's nothing that made me kind of nuts, drove, drove me nuts. The Becky downfall stuff is kind of compelling. Um, the Ezekiel stuff is not like necessarily my flavor but i think it's obviously working kevin owens performance in it is incredible he is just spectacular that kind of shtick and he's great in that feud so there you go now let's uh let's open up here i went over the halfway point a little bit but let's let's do some some q a form there's a couple questions that i've ignored so let me go back up to them because i was rambling there here we go let's go back up you have a question it doesn't have to be about AEW or Raw, just about anything in general, then I will try my best to answer it. 
Um, and I will, yeah, we'll, we'll go up a little bit here. They, no, they ended the Carmella mask thing last night. They actually explained it as like Corey taking out like an insurance policy, which fair. I mean, there's something more than I expected them to do. Riddle losing to Omos after his title match against Riddle against Roman is just baffling. Is Riddle's push done? I don't think, um, I don't think so. I just think they're very like, I think they're very into the idea of like, you just can't beat the big man, you know? It's like when they had Finn, he was like in a main event program and then he lost to Kane on Raw. It's like, yeah, man, it's Kane, he's seven foot. That's the way they see it. It's so dumb and outdated. But I think they see it as like the crowd won't lose any faith in Riddle because he lost to a giant, which, I mean, I guess, but it does feel like after the Roman match, you probably should just have him not lose immediately on TV in four minutes. But ultimately, will they cheer him less? Probably not. But yeah, I think it was a strange choice. But Omos is going to have one of those big ladders, which is going to rule. Um, okay, what we got here? Going to be sad when Lashley loses to South Cena versus Fury. Yeah, I don't know. To be, I, I will say that um, I wouldn't be shocked if they kind of no finish the way out of that. I also wonder if actually that's not what's going to happen. A part of me wonders if Lashley wins so they can do Cena and Fury without the US title on the line. Um, I'm not convinced you can have Fury beat John Cena. <laughs> like, I just can't. Like, I'm sure that like, he would do it and he like loves Fury, which, you know. But like, I can't really wrap my head around that. I'm full. I mean, I just can't. I can't imagine... Being like, yeah, that's what we should do. Fury should beat John Cena. Well, no. I think, I mean, just on the idea that Cena may one day come back again, I feel like you should not even lose to Austin fucking Fury. So perhaps it's wishful thinking on my part, but I actually think there's a chance they need to get the US belt off him so they can do this feud without the US belt so they can kind of be freed with the finish. But I don't know. Maybe that's wishful thinking. Um, Bob Lash should be the mid-card holder in the face of the round while Roman's doing what the fuck he's doing. Yeah, and I think that's where um that's kind of where my mind was going on that fantasy booking right there. Is I think the same to be said for him kind of being the unofficial world champ as the US champ. Especially because he has such a like he's his history of that belt is so um you know, he was like he felt like the world champ when he was the US champ before. He was so dominant, he never got behind or anything. So I think it kind of makes sense, you know. Right. Do you think they'll eventually realize Fury isn't getting over and give up on his push? Um, well, in many ways, the, the, the scene of thing feels like a kind of, like a, you know, a crossroads in that sense. Because <laughs> if he beats John Cena, I don't know if you can give up at any point. I feel like you just got to kind of, I mean, you go that far with it, man. How deep in are you here, you know? Um... My guess is they'll lose interest, but at the same time, they do seem all the way in, which I do not get. Um, even beyond the obvious asterisks that come with uh, with theory, I just don't really understand it as like a potential top guy. Like I get that Bruce, especially, is always into the guys that are kind of like creative, you know, creative wrestler style, but he's so like bland, you know. And his personality is very play wrestler to me. It's very like. Guy trying to have a wrestling personality. Um, 
my guess is eventually they'll kind of get bored of it, but they have gone far enough with it. And if you beat John Cena, that like, I, it may just be a thing that has to be accepted, which is professional wrestling for you. Um, why do you think the late night grin and impact are in a feud? I actually honestly have no beef with um, impact wrestling. I actually think Scott Demore has done a hell of a job. I've been pretty consistent on this. I know everyone dunks on their ratings, but I just kind of refuse the notion that if it was Book Bear, it would have a better rating. I, don't, I honestly don't believe that. I think they just are what they are. Um, I think his rate of like good events to bad ones is like four times better than the other, the next best impact, you know, leader. Um, so I actually. You know, I don't have any issue with impact. There's definitely many bits that have seemed like we're in a few with impact. The confirmed shoot is in a few with impact. Moose is in a few with the late night grin. But ultimately, you know, I think impact's doing a pretty good job. And I, I wish they was able to penetrate the market more and actually sell some tickets and do some business because I do worry that you can't kind of exist at their clip right now forever. I genuinely worry about that. Like, I don't. I know they give access TV content, but like, fuck, man, they must be spending a lot of money. I mean, I I would honestly not want to think about it because they only do four legitimate pay-per-views. Impact Plus must not make. I mean, the amount it costs to just have Impact Plus is probably, you know, probably prevents them from being profitable. And then on the ticket side of thing, they probably have an average of like 300. And that ain't very many, you know? So I... um. I do worry about them in that sense. Like, everyone does the joke, like, Impact will live forever, but it's like, I do fear that at some point someone at Anthem will just be like, why are we doing this again? I don't know. And, that, and then you're fucked because I don't know who's buying it exactly. So that concerns me, and that is why that stuff is relevant, unfortunately. But as far as what Scott Demore's doing, I think he's generally done a hell of a job. Generally. There are some issues, but there are issues of every wrestling promotion, right? Here's what it is. Um... I wouldn't feel bad for Kevin Owens. I think he actively enjoys this whole shit. I think he's good at it too, honestly. I think it's all, you know, I think it's all uh, all fun and games to him. Dude's, you know, he's, his personality is such that I would suggest he's having a lot of time. Um, a lot of fun. A lot of time. Um, Mr. Holbert, who is promoter of the year so far and why has it got more? Um... <laughs> Well, to honest with you, Cody, I probably answered that in my last uh, answer, which is that he's, he's not selling many tickets or pay-per-views, which probably fucks him in terms of promoter of the year, but he's doing a decent job. Um, I don't know, man. I'm, from what I can gather, I always find this to be difficult because I know you're joking, but like the way promoter of the year is supposed to work is it's like a commercial success thing. Like when Tony Khan won it, it was because like their pay-per-view numbers. And I kind of don't fathom how it can be a commercial success thing without WWE winning it every year because they make like a billion dollars from TV contracts. <laughs> and they do stadium shows, but you know, you get what you get, I suppose. Uh, it'll probably just be Tony Khan again in the Wrestling Observer newsletter, which is not Dave Meltzer's fault, to be clear. To be clear here, yeah. I'm just saying. That always pops me. It pops me almost as much as the. The term underrated actually meaning like underutilized. That always pops me too. Cesaro, the 12-time winner. 
All right, here we go. It will be great when the big menacing unstoppable monster is afraid of heights. Factual. Can't wait, brother. MVP is going to be like, you know, almost going to step on one of the ladders and the rung will fall when MVP like, well, I've got it, and he'll pull out like a big monster one. Good stuff. Professional wrestling is back. Um, okay. Drew had the same story in 09 and they gave up on him. They certainly did. Um, circle back quite hilariously, but yes. Maybe he'll go and work uh, ICW in the middle there, maybe. I don't know. But you're right, they did give up on Drew. Drew's, like, his Cena match was that he was allegedly supposed to wrestle Taker at Mania, and, like, they went... I think they went with... Um, wasn't it like they did the Sean rematch or something like that? Or they did the Triple H match or something? That would have been his equivalent of what Fury might have with Cena coming up here, so... We will see. This moose thing, I look, guys, I didn't see any of this because I was sleeping. I also have moose blocked because, duh. Um, if only wrestlers knew that when you're a product of that size and your whole potential audience is, like, hardcore fans that are on Twitter too much and are massive fucking nerds like us... If only wrestlers knew how much damage it did to their own product and their own promotion when they act like fucking buffoons on Twitter. Now, with Moose, there's actually way more, way more baggage that comes with him. But it would sure be cool if, like, he just logged off and didn't have to remind us of him being a buffoon, you know? That'd be great. It just amazes me. It really does. Oh, people think this product one's lame. Why don't I just fucking, like, dunk on them for it? That'll turn and change their mind. Like, what the fuck are you doing, man? You replied to a tweet from a late-night grin Twitter account. Late-night grin. Brother, come on. Right. Um, I'd watch Impact if I got the TV channel it was on. Otherwise, I'm not going to have a way to find it. And that's the thing, man. It's, it's like, you know, it's a... Uh, it's a fine show, but they have to really overachieve, like hugely, dramatically, to to get to convince people they have to seek it out. Right, that's the key. Like going out of your way to find it is the important thing because it isn't going to be right in front of you. So I'm fucking access, and they've struggled to do that. And honestly, I think almost everyone in wrestling struggles to make something that's truly must see. They certainly have, but yeah, I, I think that's one of their main issues. Throw Rampage on Access TV and it gets the same numbers. My God. I mean, probably. They had like 350 this week, but I don't really know. I'm intrigued by what that means. Like, I don't know if that's an insult on who that's an insult on at this point. Rampage number was genuinely like, wow. That was like pretty crazy, but, you know. Bobby Fishmatch did rule. Oracle loved it. Um. Okay. Yes, I saw that Cody enjoyed Impact. I look, I, I was talking to Monty on Monday, which was yesterday, apparently. I was texting with him from the airport, and um, <clears throat> he seemed surprised at how much it popped in the show. And I get it, man. I get the Impact's like an easy dunk, and we all do it. But, like, they generally do good shows. <laughs> like... 
they're very seldom have they done pay-per-views in the last four years where people have ended them like, man, that fucking sucked. You know? Like, I don't think... I don't think that's a thing that's been kind of part of their identity for this last stretch. It certainly was before. They consistently produced shows that people said, well, that fucking sucked. They haven't really done that since the more and, and, you know, previously Callis were in charge. So it didn't surprise me people like the show. I'm glad it people enjoyed it that much. I think it's cool that clearly it was made with an awful lot of love in terms of the nostalgia of TNA's past and stuff. Man, that's good shit. I genuinely was happy to see that response. Um, Andrew says, what is your opinion on the star rating discourse, i.e. WWE fans get too excited about the one four-star match a month. Uh, I believe that was our pal Manny who tweeted that, and it went, like, kind of semi-viral. Um, I do think there's an element of, like, like, there are a big portion of that audience, and that by that audience, like, I'm not even meaning this in a kind of demeaning way. Like, the people that only watch WWE, which, to be clear, is, like, the majority, because look at the numbers, you can figure it out for yourself. Um... Hopefully I'm still here. The connection apparently is bad. Okay. Looks like we're coming back. Um, you know, the WWE fan, and again, I don't mean that to be an insult. That's a lot of people. I do think there's an element of they just haven't seen, like, some of the stuff that's out there. So someone like Seth Rollins is, like, this offensive fucking wizard, when in reality, to me, it, he's just kind of doing, like, an impression of guys that also wrestle, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that, you know. I'm a Buddy Matthews fan. He also was doing an impression of other people. But I think that's part of it. I think, like, what a lot of it is, honestly, and I view this as a compliment, I think WWE is really good at, like, kind of, like, chronicling their, like, modern history. You know? Like, they create lore very quickly. Like, that Cody match, if you didn't watch the pay-per-view and you tune it to the next TV, like, it was fucking... They basically framed it as, like, Mankind and Taker. I'm not even saying wrongly so, but they just, they're very good at like, this is something we're going to make sure people remember and think of as being an epic thing, which no other wrestling promotion does. Honestly, none of them even try to do. They just kind of do matches and move on. I mean, I saw a tweet earlier. So I was like, Samoa Joe wrestled Minoru Suzuki this year. It's like, yeah, fucking ruled. But they was, you know, gone in an instant, right? That's how most wrestling promotions operate. They are very good it can be kind of exhausting i can't lie but they're very good at like you'll fucking know when they have a match they think was good they'll they'll hit you over the head with it and that's effective in some ways you know so i think that's part of it i don't know i don't really to me it's kind of whatever um mvp is going to climb the ladder and hand the belt to omos like carmella and ellsworth my god I'm not sure old P's knees fancy that, but I'm sure he can climb it. May take him a little time, but you know. Right. Um, Drew was also told he'd win money in the bank, and then Swagger won it. Good lord, man. Fucking owned. He should have just quit then and there. With Gunter being very anti American, do you reckon they're setting up Gabe Stevenson to beat him for the belt? I would not expect to ever see Gabe Stevenson on the show again. That's my take. So my answer was no. But um, you may get some cool Gunter business. I've seen none of it, but it sounds like a cool idea, him being the IC champ. The anti-American part, I can't speak to, I don't see it, but I would not expect to see young Stevenson on their TV for a while. Maybe ever. 
Right. Um, Bert, I tweet about Impact. What would you come up with for, me, for moves if you responded to me? I would not ignore him like I always have, you know? Because I know he tweets, like he, type, he types in, so I've just blocked him. Any rest of the vanity searches that I don't want them to interact with, I just block them. So I would just tell you, ignore him. You know? Dude's got to focus on his career, not what I'm talking about on a podcast or what Jay Shell or fucking, God forbid, Monty. You know, he's a piece of shit. Um, there you go. Some love for Slammiversary. There's something nice about Impact that if you say something nice about them, you're not going to get dunked on for being an E-drone or Fleet. Yes, but there is also like this weird snobbery of like, you know, like <laughs> I've experienced like any Impact's praise is considered to be like charity. <laughs> it's just kind of brutal, but is fair at the same time. Um, Joe, will you at least check out the reverse battle rule? Absolutely not. No, I'm not watching that. I can't believe they did that. I'm, I'm glad they did that. Because I know it pops like yourself and all of the very um, passionate that's the word we're going to use, passionate TNA fans. But, yeah, I don't know, man. I really don't. I mean, like, there was some very cool – I will say I watched the um, the Dom West, Mike Tanay thing. I thought that was was fabulous. I really loved that. I was a, The right thing was to spotlight those guys who really were important. Um, so I like that a lot. I saw a couple of the cameos. I saw AJ's video, which popped me because of his thank you WWE bit, which is PKJ. Um, it like a good time. I'm not watching any of it because you know, time is of the essence. We have a week ahead. I have much stuff to catch up on. Slammiversary is saying that I'll just accept was good and move on. You get what you get, I suppose. Remember when Otis couldn't climb the ladder? No, but that sounds tremendous. I think there's emotional investment that I personally have with WWE, but AEW just do cold four-star matches with no build, no follow-up. I think that's just a problem... People would fail to recognize on every which side of like you're absolutely going to like matches more if you like watch the product and are into the people involved. Too many people watch wrestling matches with like their arms folded, being like, impress me, you know. Like, if you're a WWE fan, you'll watch AEW that way. AEW fans definitely watch WWE that way, so on and so forth. People did it with Kenny and Okada, where it's like there was this 40 minute long match that got 12 stars and People watched it with this, like, prove it. Show me how good it is, you know, and got, like, bored and mad about it. It's not really how wrestling is supposed to be watched. We should all be more honest with ourselves in terms of investment makes us enjoy wrestling more. So what you say makes perfect sense. I think anyone that's being real can kind of concede that they're the same way with whatever their preferred product is. I mean, for me, it's not product as much as it's the wrestlers themselves. But if you're invested, you're absolutely going to enjoy it more than someone who's just watching it as a cold piece of wrestling art. You know, it's just... Wrestling is not complex enough to work that way, man. You need to feel it. You kind of have to to really love something. But that's just my read on it. Factual. Also factual. Um... <laughs> Aldis quote tweeted me with... Uh... He didn't get mad at me, but he got mad at people responding. I said Dustin Rhodes should beat... I said Dustin Rhodes should win the NWA title. And I didn't actually tweet Nick Aldis' name. I just said Dustin Rhodes. And, like, it blew up and did crazy numbers. So everyone started replying, Nick Aldis wouldn't do a job. So when he typed in his name, it was, like, probably absurd. Like, it was almost frightening how many times he would say that about himself. 
So he quote tweeted me with like a he didn't dunk on me, he just used my tweet as the basis to explain that he's business, brother. Which is fucking incredible. Um you know, so Nick <laughs> I actually don't dislike Nick Aldis at all. I I genuinely think he's fine. Um he's a pretty good promo. I hate the work shoot stuff he's doing right now, but I don't mind. He seems like a fine guy. But yeah, he's a big vanity searcher. Um other places make matches feel special. The Fed takes a good thing and beat show there with it. I agree, but I do think it's effective in its own way, you know? I think they're effective at kind of making people, like, stop and make that a moment, so to speak. Uh, AJ feels like a WWE live for you, I'd say so. Apparently, it got really close in 2019. Really close. But once they paid him there, I think that's probably it. I say I hate big picture AEW talk, but it really is the realm in which all their problems lie, so it's why I talk about it all the time. I think it makes sense. I just think, I like, I was speaking to myself here. I was talking to Jay Schiller about this earlier, actually. Like, I just think that a lot of us have found the other promotions so uninteresting that we've put too many eggs in, like, the AEW basket, and we we come at it from, like, a like a weirdly like protective concerned perspective Does that makes sense of like oh fuck this thing i like is kind of going off the rails which i'm not gonna lie to you guys i've kind of fought in the last like six months i think you know, those of you that watch the shows know that my, my like low in that regard was like january where i was kind of like this kind of isn't interesting um and the shows most been really good the last six months but that january kind of run made me just shift my take on it um I think wrestling works best when you just treat it like a buffet, man. I, I really do. I think, you know, when you get locked into these products, I just, I think it can be exhausting. Now, I actually agree with most of your takes, Jay Blood. And, you know, you and I have talked about them both in this format where I'm just talking to chat. I just, just broadly. Um, I think you're right about most of it. I just think, and this is like, a very uninteresting conclusion, but I kind of believe it. It's like, they're just kind of all what they are. <laughs> I don't know. That's like not a good answer at all. But like, I do think they're at a point now and Tony kind of shown a certain level of stubbornness that like, it's kind of, you just kind of have to concede at some point. Like I was that way with their pay-per-view builds. Have you watched the distraction back in the day? Who used to get so mad at us with, when I talk about the bills, but I don't think they've rebuilt this pay-per-view at all. And I just had to eventually, I just was like, I guess this is what they do. <laughs> I fucking, I don't know, man. And like, that ain't me being biased. You guys know I with WWE. I just judge WWE for it is. So, big picture talk is very interesting, is necessary. But at some point, not you, this is me from a content perspective. I have to just judge what it is rather than what it can be because, you know, it's choices are made, right? Like, it, there's at some point, there's clearly a decision that's been made internally. This is how it's going to be. So, um, frustrating as it may be for me in terms of my my preferences i've kind of reached a point where while my interest is lower for it i've had to just distance myself i can't be the the AEW fan who's pulling his hair out every week at the differences not that you are because um, i know that you're actually more kind of um critical than some people are very defensive about it but yeah i, I think uh that's where i'm at personally i just i'll tell you what it is because I wanted for too long. I was trying to shape shift into what I wanted it to be, and it kind of drove me nuts. To be honest, so that's just my read on it. <clears throat> yes, this is true. Kenny Omega's—he's quite good. I know you've heard. You may see him again soon. I feel. 
Nick Aldis is not problematic, no. He's just Nick Aldis. Um, a lot of people are alone with them right now. A lot of people that were once really in on it. People in the chat saying the same thing. Um, huge low of AEW. Uh, this is the lowest I've been on AEW since pre- pre-pandemic. Is what it is, man. I I will say that I think a lot of the flaws people are noticing have been there for the longest. It's just you haven't got... The last month, you haven't had Punk, Danielson, to paper over cracks, you know? Kenny's been gone for a while. MJF's gone. On a personal level, Sam Joe's gone. That stuff, that stuff can kind of expose things more than you realize sometimes, so we shall see. Um, who would you have Wardlow's first feud as TNT champ? Um, I honestly wouldn't do... Oh, that's difficult, man. Because I don't know... I don't necessarily know if I would do a feud <clears throat> so much as I would do Challenger of the Week. I kind of think that's the way I go with Wardlow. My, my concern would be that's not very interesting, though, and it could call him off. I don't know. I haven't really got a good answer for that. I'm going to think about it. Um, it's easier also to notice the flaws, the better the roster has gone. Exposes the booking. I agree with that totally. I think there are elements of, like, you kind of realise the potential and it kind of feels like he's blowing it in some regard. Like, I do think that's a real thing. But I, I guess, you know, I think as of late, the injuries have kind of taken away their safety a little bit in terms of quality. But I don't know. I say all this to say that, again, I thought last week's shows were great or very good. and You know, it is what it is. But I, I do think there's, like, genuine flaws that some people have just buried their head in the sand over. So I get why that's frustrating. Right. That brings an end to this program. I hope you've enjoyed this. We'll be back tomorrow. Same time. Again, folks, this week only it's going to be this time, 105 Eastern. Um, this format... Tomorrow I'll probably talk about like NXT and some um you know some some weird shit that I watch. I'm watch Fusion. I don't know. Something weird. But just kinda of, I'll come up with some topics and this is kind of the format I want to play with with the bird of like because you're now behind the paywall and we can get in a consistent rhythm with that. I kinda of want it to be some thoughts of my day, some stuff I've watched, and then we just talk shop and do a QA thing. You know, I think that's that's nice. Like, I like using this to kind of check in with you guys because you are our most, um, you know, passionate. Let's use that word again. Passionate supporters. No, I'm just missing. Um, you know, you're the greener circle, right? So it's nice to have some kind of more direct conversation and I'll try and answer as many questions I can. So appreciate you guys. 105 Eastern tomorrow. Do me a favor though. 605 Eastern today, the 31 with Robert O'Neill is back again. Episode three, Connor Casey. Much to look forward to. A big episode. He's told me he's figured out the format. He knows what he's doing. I'm expecting a big interview tonight. So, watch the 31. Then, um, come over here and, and watch the grin along with us, man. You know? The grin, the dark. Also, we're doing more of those grin alongs. See, people don't even like those. Tell me if you like the grin alongs in like my DMs or whatever. And if there's something you want us to watch. This Thursday, I think we're going to do a New Japan grin along. With some classics. So, much to look forward to. Love you guys. Appreciate you all. Watch the 31. Watch the Dark Grin along. Um, all hell. Enjoy this outro. <laughs>